Welcome again to Catalogs of Noise. Today we are going to talk about Grace, the penultimate story in the Dubliners collection, and I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good? Yeah. I'm Joe, by the way, and I'm here with... Josh. Tom. And no Dave. No Dave. Dave uh, had a hiking accident or something, and we'll come back again soon, but couldn't be here. It was really an accident. He's fine. All right. Uh, we're being very glib about her friend being hurt or something, or I am. You did have to gnaw his hand off to get out of that crevice. Yes, please talk louder, though. <laughs> All right. Now, there's my tick. All right. So, Grace, I was kind of putting this in the context of the other what you, public life stories. Mm-hmm. And I actually think this one is maybe the most successful of the, of the three. What do you compare it to? Uh, Ivy Day okay. and a mother. Right, I think it's certainly better than Ivy Day, and um, you know, pretty, you know, just slightly better than a mother, um, because there's a little more to kind of grapple with in terms of an emotional core. You know, I don't know that any of these people are that like likable, or I want to attach to them, but certainly more so than anybody in Ivy Day and the kind of main characters in a mother, but I don't think this nearly stands up to some of the great Dubliner stories like Araby, An Encounter, Boarding House. It doesn't have... Well, I think we talked about that, that yeah. the earlier stories are better, and uh, you yeah. guys seem to be, you know, you, you like this story a lot. Not that, I mean, we're just doing a basic analysis of it, not like we'd love it or whatever, and gonna just, you know, be excited if we only love it, but I think I enjoyed the earlier ones better versus the later ones because I think the economy of the language mm-hmm. and um, I think the topics as well. Yeah. And and for uh, for me on, on on this one, I felt there is you know these long stretches of of, of dialogue, and uh, unless you're living in in Dublin at the time, I think you kind of maybe missed a little bit of the nuance of the conversation. Yeah. But. Yeah. yeah, let me put in my two cents. So I agree with you that uh, as far as like enjoyability, you know, I think we all connected to those early stories very easily. But I would make the argument that this is an equally strong story. I think this. Oh, is, yeah. I think this is one. Of the, this. I mean, I know we keep really? rating them, but I think this is definitely up, up towards the top. Really, of the fourteen. Huh. Oh man, because I, I like I like reading it as because um, that original idea. I don't know if we talked about this before, but this was originally intended to be the final story in the right, collection, right. and read in that way, I think it accumulates a certain power because. The idea of ending with all those men in the congregation, Mm -hmm. all there for that unified purpose, it brings us back to the beginning of the whole collection. You know, many people have made this, you know, these observations that those major themes that were immediately brought forward in the the sisters, you know, simony, the gnomon, incompleteness, and paralysis are brought to the fore throughout grace. And then at the end with that idea that that sermon on, you know, Christ will turn a a blind eye to the men of the world, provided that you basically bow down before him. Mm -hmm. And that's the ultimate simony. That's the, you know, and so I think, I, I think the whole structure. So even the, 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 the long winded section where they're talking about the popes, all of that is, Serving a purpose. Well, it's I didn't not, think it's right, not serving right. a purpose. It, but I, I, I it's lo- less enjoyable. Right. It's a slog to get through. But you know, you, you begin with sisters with that boy that really he knows that he knows more than the adults, but he also knows what he doesn't know. Like right. you know what I mean? Like he, he knows that there's he has the the wisdom to know that he's ignorant. <clears throat> 
mm-hmm. and the wisdom also to know that these adults don't know what the hell they're talking about. By the time we get to Grace, we've got the adults who don't know what the hell they're yeah. talking about, but they've got the assurance that they know what they're talking right. about. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole long stretch when they're talking about the popes, you know, it's full of inaccuracies yes. and, and, and kind of half-truths, but it's said with so, such assurance that, you know, you realize by the end there, there's, been no, there's been no growth. Yeah. yeah I'm sorry. No, ahead. no, you, you keep going? You good? Well, I was just I mean, one of the, the things that I like about Grace is that constant mention of the, the geometry of their life. It seems like you know, you've got the arc of a decline, or you know he got from point A to point B by the longest possible. There's all these kind of geometric patterns, and I, I like that idea that you've you've traced that arc of a decline from the beginning of of Dubliners all the way here to the mm-hmm. end. Now I know this this is discounting the placement of the dead ultimately, yeah. but. I, th- I, I don't know. I guess my original argument was I think this is a very strong... If this collection ended with Grace, I would be very satisfied. I think Grace is an excellent capstone. Until to, uh, you get to the dead and you see that it is far superior to... The, but to the, me, dead, the, the dead, the dead feels... It, doesn't it feel like... Having just read it recently again, it feels so different. It does. Right? It feels I, like a standalone piece yeah. that that does feel kind of tacked on that doesn't discount how great it is as a story, but... But I think it works as a culmination, mm-hmm. in a yes. sense. Yeah. Right, well, yeah we'll talk more about that next time. Um, I'm sorry, I got way No, ahead. no, that's fine, it's fine. The, um, so, so here, in terms of enjoyability, I think, you know, the problem with these three, and again, these aren't problems, these are great stories, you know, these are some of the best stories ever written, relative to more enjoyable ones, like Araby, Boarding House... These seem to start with the idea these are going to be about something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Ivy Day is about politics. A Mother is about art. This is about religion, mm-hmm. right? And so Joyce is starting with this kind of framework and now squeezing characters into it, you know, crafting a discussion of it. It seems, and, and I don't know what the process is like, but it seems like a story like The Encounter comes from something else. It comes from experience. The themes are kind of built out of you know, authentic characterization mm-hmm. and plot dynamics in a way that these seem kind of forced and a little stilted around the edges. Part of it could be also the the, the structure, because the structure is so apparent, that tripartite structure. Hugely and, you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of obvious. You've got, you know, the inferno, yes. you've got the purgatory, you've got the paradise. Yeah, I, I, I see what you, you mean. What it's, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems a little less natural. I like the mm-hmm. way you describe that, how something like the sisters or... Or Araby or an encounter seem to breathe more organically. Could that be? And hate to sort of you know graft the biography onto him. I mean, you get a sense maybe in the earlier stories that those are elements of of Joyce there, and he's giving you something autobiographical. Whereas here, he is going into his imagination with these people who don't. You know, he wouldn't be hanging out with these people. He just knows of them from his childhood and looking at them from from the perspective as a kid. So he doesn't have that insight, perhaps, as he does with the earlier characters that he's he he crafted earlier in, in the story collection. Yeah, and I think the third person narrative voice in these stories is editorializing more than those other stories. There's a little bit of a sneer, you know, a little bit of a of a look how silly these people are. 
kind of vibe that doesn't really exist in the other stories for the most part. Because the the narrative is that you're right. It's that first person narrative of those those first stories. Yeah, that, yeah. They're non judgmental. Yeah. There's judgment here. You can hear Vo- Joyce's kind of you know it's slight, mm-hmm. but and I, I have examples that kind of point to it. But just a, a little bit of you know distaste for the character. I, I think we get that earlier on. If, if, you, if you remove yourself from the from the three from childhood, I think anything beyond that has, or, or most of them, have a little bit you of think that so? edge. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. It's not, I mean, to, it's not the last couple that we've read. I think it goes back further. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two gallons of painful case. After the race yeah. is, is yeah. what, the fifth? I guess I would yeah. say that these, it's most apparent in these. So, so my, my big example of it is he keeps calling Kiernan, Kiernan? Kiernan, the invalid, right? Towards, not all the time. Sometimes. Not all the time, towards like the end of it. And clearly Joyce doesn't, or the narrative voice, whoever you want to make that distinction, isn't, doesn't believe that he's a real invalid. You know, that's ironic yeah. and cheeky, and we're supposed to think less of him because it's, it's reducing his status. You know, that, and it's slight, but that's just a little touch of editorializing that um, I, I think maybe... Maybe it hurts the kind of natural qualities of the text, of the flow of the text. But he isn't invalided during those moments. He's well, he's, self-induced. Yeah, he's you know? true. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, I think, I think he, he, they yeah. use that. They use that though when he's in uh, the midsection, right, where he is bedridden. He is. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it never says it, but I get the impression. I know. That <laughs> his, he bit his tongue. You know what I mean? That guy, like, like he can walk. You know? <laughs> um, no, he got a cold. It's part of the joke. Okay, cold, think. right? <laughs> oh, he got that awful cold. Remember, mucus. <laughs> mucus. <laughs> yeah, there are some good moments. And, you know, even even that, that kind of back and forth and how we're supposed to feel like there's such bumpkins. And, yeah. you know, there's there's a slight sneer there that, you know, I think it's it's fine, but maybe more heavy-handed than, than Joyce at his best. Uh, so there's, uh, I mean, I, it's difficult for me to talk about this without jumping all over the place. Yeah, I feel like away. I want to defend, mm-hmm. uh, defend it. Um, I like one of the aspects I like about it is the interplay between the men in that kind of one-upsmanship. Like they're yeah. they're both they're all supposed to be do-gooders, right? And it's originally Jack was it Jack Powers, right? Who's going to do or Power? Who's going to do the Tom? Tom Powers? No, no, Thomas Thomas Kernan. <laughs> yeah, right. Jack how, Power. Jack Power doesn't like to be called by his Christian name, right? right. <laughs> well, he doesn't like to be called by his Christian name by McCoy by because McCoy. there's some issue. Ooh, Remember McCoy? Okay. So anyway, I like the the gamesmanship here. I like how Joyce depicts the relationships of these men who they're benign mission to try to turn Tom around becomes almost this power play where Martin Cunningham immediately assumes the lead role. McCoy is constantly fighting for attention. (laughs) McCoy is definitely a prototype of Bloom, Uh right? Even right down to his fixation on kind of scientific language. He makes these little jokes that kind of go unnoticed or they don't land. I'm constantly reminded of Bloom. Oh, see, that's good. Always that's trying good. to. Oh, I'm sure I didn't come up with that. I'm sure I probably read somewhere that McCoy's prototype. But then you start seeing it everywhere in here that he's he's just he's always aloof. I like that even at the end. You know, Tom and Martin are sitting together, yeah. and Fogarty and uh, Harford. No, 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 no. no. Uh, Harford, uh, Harford, McCoy, Power, Cunningham. 
I don't know. Anyway, there's five in the, the church at the end. I can't believe I'm forgetting this. And uh, McCoy is sitting by himself. Yeah, yeah. Right? McCoy is right there, and he makes a joke about the Quinn Cooks, you know, that, that arrangement yeah. of, and they don't, you know, it goes, lands nowhere. It's, I, I don't know. Well, that's interesting so, you mentioned Bloom, because I thought, you know, what is, it's Harford, right, that's the user, the user, right? That mm-hmm. sounds like prototype for Bloom for me. You know, the, the kind of anti-Semitic treatment of... This Christian, mm. in this case, that they say acts Jewish because of his occupation, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, there's there's hints of how Joy, uh, Bloom will get characterized later in that, although he's really Jewish. And yeah, so the, no, that, that that makes a lot of sense, you know, that that kind of play. Um, and, and I think it's strongest when it gets into the kind of subtle psychology of these people in that yeah, room. Yeah, I think you're right. Like that's what makes the story for yeah. me. Yeah, going back to once again, I'm just talking. Just was not as enjoyable, but in that dialogue, which seemed to drag on and on, the best part of it was the psychology. I felt, yeah, because yeah. well, because they, they, you know, that they they met up and they talked about this this sort of pathetic plan, and then they go in with with language that sounds a little bit scripted, and they're kind of playing off of each other. So that that is that you know there is that is kind of fun. <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't really land with him. I like the fact that Tom is kind of like, "Oh, what are you guys? Oh, what are you guys planning? It's a religious man. Oh, and it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. He's, he's no longer interested. But but he is um, he is fooled by it. Like you yeah, think, yeah, he's, he's going to do it. He doesn't. not the brightest bulb in the bunch. Who would buy into this? Like you know, yeah. stilted like you know, dumb play that's happening. But he's like, "Oh, really, guys? Oh, what's happening there?" It's funny. The psycho like the psychology we're talking about is right there from the beginning, even with the constable who yeah. you know, is you know, somewhat paranoid about he seems out of his depth, he's clearly provincial. And then uh, when the, the the guy in the bicycle suit kinda takes over, then the constable's like seems like he's oh thank God and starts mimicking everything he's saying. Yeah. Uh, these are things I really liked. Uh, these little details, I think, accumulate to make a, a great story. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I totally think it's great. Um, I love the little note that it's like he got his pen ready to indict. You yeah. know, <laughs> like you know, little Lick little little touches like that really make you know say a lot about these like very you know secondary characters, which are cool. Um, all right, let's let's talk about that structure you mentioned for a bit. Um, I so I don't know where I got this. You know, but I do remember this being associated with Inferno. Yeah. Uh, Inferno, Paradiso, Purgatorio. Mm-hmm. Well, it starts with a literal fall down the I got the stairs. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and that's, you know, falling from grace yeah. and you get all that. Um, so I, who, why do I know that? Like, is that is that just kind of common knowledge? Joyce himself. Did Joyce himself talk about and, it? You know, you can't read anything about this story without yeah. people talking about the... the Okay. tripartite structure mimicking the divine comedy. But, I mean, if, if we're going to view it like that, it's certainly ironic, right? Because, yeah. you know, th- there is no Beatrice at the end of no. this. There is no, you know... It's Mammon is the, the right. you know, that's the paradise, the, the living as a worldling. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's... Right, it's... The priest's sermon is the opposite of what Dante's doing. Yeah, and apparently yeah. That, that scripture is notoriously corrupt to begin with. And so when he says, this is very difficult to interpret, let me be the key. Yes, it's very difficult to interpret because it seems like it's probably not transmitted correctly, whatever was the original intent. Yeah, I mean, And then his interpretation of it is the kind of lowest common denominator, right. like, 
you know, basically, yeah, do what you got to do to get by in the world, but just make sure you call it a church and uh, get right with God, and you'll be yeah. fine. I will, we'll, we'll get to that because uh, I do have so I have my own interpretation <clears throat> which is not at all what he's talking about. But all right, so let's go to the very beginning. Um, I like how it starts, you know, ver- in meteores, right? Mm-hmm. Come on, Latin boy. Um, yeah, how how it, it you know you're you're thrust in the middle of this. You know that there is like. You know, a huge backstory that's, you know, about this, you know, night of debauchery and all that. But we're not interested in that. In fact, we've seen that several times in the text already. We've seen it in counterparts and, you know, maybe in a little cloud and those things. I like that, you know, when this collection works, you know, together, we don't need those parts. It, it fills in the blanks for us, you know, giving us that kind of context of Dublin life. I think that's very smart. And, you know, the idea of, you know, that fall and uh, the ooze on the floor and all that is maybe a little heavy handed, but um, I, I think well, it works. I picture, I picture the filthy bathroom floor. That's where my head went was the filth. Yeah, Not necessarily that like was, some sort of metaphor. Yeah, of fall, like, I, I think you could read that first paragraph without... You know, clouding your head with thoughts of yeah. Dante's Inferno, like, oh, these are the, as people have said, this is the realm of the flatterers. They yeah. also have ooze in Dante. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, but at the same time, I'm picturing disgust. Like, I'm oh, yeah, picturing, yeah, my yeah. God, I can't imagine lying in that filth. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's the, and I, I feel like I'm coming off bad here. Like, I'm really, like, uh, picking apart this story, but I don't really think so. The, I mean, I really think it, it's good, but it's the word fallen, I think, and the kind of, like, like, it jumps out, and it says, it demands, like, I'm a symbol, you know, in some kind of way. And, and the word grace that shows up several times in the story explicitly, I think it's three times. But there's a, there's a joke in that, too. Because I, it's, I guess it's not just the grace of salvation. You said this is, this is the one that is so ostensibly about religion. Religion, but the main theme to me is not religion. The main theme to me is is debt, grace from debt. You know, well, de- you know. So it's yeah. it's a play on the idea of grace. I, mean, I you know, I know that it, you technically you might say that this is the most religiously themed, but you know, I don't think yeah. it, it doesn't feel like it was shoehorned into that. I no, think, no, no. Yeah. I think the critique of it's it's right headed. Mm-hmm. It's subtle. You know what I mean? But it is about the nature of religion. Yeah, okay. you know, you, the nature of it. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that Joyce does not think it has any kind of you know center redeeming qualities to it. Okay. Ultimately, you know, but but that is it's like the story is a mission to articulate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, you know, look, it's very in line with my thinking. You know, uh, I'm just talking to like you know subtle craft. It's James Joyce. Of course it's incredible. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just trying to kind of pinpoint why this one doesn't resonate with me as, you know, like Evelyn does. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's it. It's being packaged. It certainly is packaged. Yeah. It has a very neat structure. And we've talked about being able to identify with some of the characters a little bit, or at least the uh, Developing characters that you you feel like a bond with, and mm-hmm. you you may have mentioned, or you actually hated Evelyn, but as I a person, love Evelyn. but 
but you feel you feel for her. These characters are buffoonish, and I think that 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 sort of creates. I, maybe yeah. this is where you're coming from. So you're looking at them as like you know these these cartoons. They're cartoons. Characters. Yeah. One guy's got half a tongue because he's yeah. a you know he's a dope. You know he's falling. Then you got all these other guys coming up with this game plan to right. con him into what to go into some retreat so he could <laughs> wash his pot. You know, <laughs> or whatever the term <laughs> is. You know, find uh, you know find God again. So so I think the good comparison would be. Corley and Lenahan, right? They're treated more lovingly than these guys are. And they're certainly worse people, objectively speaking. Maybe. Right? But, but they're treated Corley, with more respect not. Lenahan, as characters. Yes. With more respect. They're treated with more yeah. respect as characters. Because maybe he's more neutral with the language, whereas here it's... I think so. And he even gives them a little redemption at times, particularly mm-hmm. Lenahan. Yeah. Um, yeah, these guys are just kind of punching bags, I think. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know, um, but I, I still I still think this is the best of the of the the last three, and you know for for different reasons. Um, all right, you, you were mentioning the word grace, right? The play on the title. So, and, and by the way, isn't grace something more aligned with with Protestant? It's used more in Protestant uh, discussions than in Catholic discussions. I, don't I think know. The, I think the term itself leans more in that direction, or is used more. It's what you. We're all Catholic boys. But isn't it what you lose because of original sin, which is in like I, I'm trying to remember like catechism. Like I'm trying to remember yeah. like like from. Well, I mean, you guys, you guys went to Catholic school. You should know this better than me. I just did the C- years, I did the man. CCD, no, which is like the uh, community college for Catholic school. <laughs> I was also so, boy. I worked in the rectory. I hung out with nuns on the so weekend. So you should have the catechism was... memorized. <laughs> Isn't there like a question that says like, "What do you lose because of original sin?" Right. You know, I went to a baptism this weekend. So not a baptism, sorry, a uh, <laughs> uh, uh, communion, a first communion. My my nephew, it was awesome. He's already, oh my god, yeah, I know, geez. right? They do it younger though now. I don't know. He's like eight. Get confirmed when you're three. Yeah, yeah. He loves <laughs> before he can speak. <laughs> uh, but no, like grace. So you lose, you lose grace. You lose that state of grace during original sin. Right? Yes, when you have fallen, like the fall of the original fall of man. I know that's making it sound too neat, but. Well, I think this is the thing. I think by the time like we get to our modern educations, like we're yeah. we're running this shit in the eighties, grace is probably not a kind of central tenant the way it was a hundred years ago. You know? Um, but I also think that, you know, what is the difference between the Protestant and Catholic ideas? By the way, this might be completely wrong. I don't I don't remember it all that well. But it's a kind of personal responsibility, right? The Protestants put uh, individual onus on their relationship to God. Catholics are still basically following ritualistic models, you know, more so, right? That if I just go through the steps of the sacraments, mm-hmm. I can reach grace by default. <clears throat> the Protestants, you have to kind of work individually for that personal relationship with God. That seems to be the distinction to me. So it would make sense that, that the Protestants had a stronger sense of grace because it's the responsibility or the onus is put more on them directly. You Whereas, I mean, the, yeah, because the yeah. message message for this would be simply just show up to the retreat and you've washed your pot. That's all you have to exactly. do. Exactly. And that right. seems to be Joyce's attack on yeah. these people, that they think just showing up, just being there yeah. is going uh-huh. to give them grace. Yeah. And I don't know that Joyce is saying, well, no, the Protestants are right, you know, yeah. in contrast. Well, there, is, said, a, there, is, there is actually what Crofton shows up again from yeah. Ivy Day. Yeah. And he remember, he's genuinely moved by the speech of... Uh, 
Yes. You know, granted, this he speaks in platitudes like we may worship at different off, um, you mm-hmm. know, altars, but we believe the same thing or something like that. But I mean, that's kind of what, that's like one of the most sympathetic moments in the whole story, and it's from a you know an orange man. From, because no matter when he's when he's introduced, you know, one of the characters says, "Isn't he like? Isn't he an orange man or something like that?" Mm-hmm. As though that guy can't be trusted. Why is it? Or- why is orange? What is that? William of Orange. William of Orange. Is that what it is? But that aligns you with the British, though. So the idea right. of standing up against the Catholic oppressor. Yeah, because always it has that extra political resonance, right? The Protestant is more associated with England. And the Catholics are going to be more associated with Irish nationalism. The irony is, two of the characters in the story, I think two of them, definitely power, are associated with the the Royal Irish Constabulary Office in Dublin Castle, which one of its missions was basically to rein in... uh, you know the the you know I guess the nascent formation of the IRA or things like that like oh, that right? like that so you know they they they've got you know you know spies in their office I mean these these two guys who are you know representing the conscious uh, conscience of Catholic Ireland are both kind of compromised by their connections with the police department yeah well I I mean and Joyce isn't. I think favoring Catholicism, right? In, in lots of his texts, not really Dubliners as much, but certainly in portrait, right? He and, and, and um, Ulysses, he blames Catholicism for kind of running interference in terms of a national identity kind of movement, right? Mm-hmm. That that gets in the way, certainly in the case of Parnell, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the reason the British were so um, successful in... in uh, Defaming Parnell was because they hooked into the ideas of of his extramarital affair, which was against the word of God, and that's kind of split the Irish against him. and And he certainly has resentment against that. I don't know if he's favoring one or the other beyond a kind of general symbolic energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So no, I, I think the treatment of that is very complex and interesting uh, overall. How. The concept of grace is kind of dealt with, you know, mm-hmm. that we're always supposed to think that, you know, grace as a means for redemption is false, mm-hmm. phony, you know. But I also like the kind of other, wor- you know, workings with the word grace, you know, it, it's a kind of general blessing, yeah. like they, you know, to say grace or yeah. to be in somebody mm-hmm. else's grace. It's the idea of a grace period or a stay, well, which is certainly what these guys experience. Every always. single one of them owes something. And right. then when they're in the audience mm-hmm. in the final section, they're with a bunch of moneylenders and people that are also in debt as mm-hmm. well. So everybody is hoping for that grace period. Yeah. And, and it's just your kind of like control of life, how yeah. you kind of move through life yeah. elegantly or gracefully, yeah. which is... You know, I would say that none of these people really do with great aplomb, right? They all have their flaws or something that holds them back from this kind of every single one of elegance. them. Every one of them, and then that's so highlighted in the third, uh, the middle section with Martin Cunningham, who's kind of like the the main authority figure. It's constantly talked about how he's such a great judge of character, but it's also constantly talked about how his own wife yeah. is such a a you know obstacle to any of his success because she just sounds like such a horrific mm-hmm. burden for him given her 
alcoholism, the fact that she pawns all the furniture, yeah. and, you know. And my favorite one is is Power, right? Who comes in, he's this like noble figure, he's gonna save this guy, but yet he's constantly bagging on him or in those around him because yeah. of class issues, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That he yeah. can't get rid of his own prejudices, <laughs> even though he believes he's this kind yeah. of saintly guy that floats through life. And he's got inexplicable debts. A lot of these things <laughs> yeah, yeah, are right. explained later in Ulysses. You know, right. So, for example, he's apparently maintaining a mistress, which I know is perhaps power. not fair power. Oh, so really? apparently it's not mm-hmm. fair to, I mean, I would say one should read this story without knowing that. Mm-hmm. But then when we talk about the fabric of Joyce's world, his fictional world, it, I think it's wonderful to read that because then it gives, because presumably power might be based on someone yeah. and Joyce has that in mind as he's writing this. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading Ulysses again with these Grace guys in mind. Yeah. seems to occupy more than most of the stories in Dubliners, a place in Ulysses, because these figures all show up. It, they're still talking about, does Tom owe money to the grocer Fog- uh, for <laughs> right, Fogarty? Right. Molly Bloom at the end of Ulysses talks about that, that bumpkin, that, that fool who bit his tongue off when he yeah. fell down the stairs. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, God, I got to see that. And Cunningham is one of the main figures in Hades, right? Yeah. He's in the cave. Yeah, he's in the funeral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like a, an enormous part. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, all right. So I going back to the beginning, I love the idea of these two characters that spent time with him all night and, no and have disappeared. Yeah, and, and not only that, when he's really questioned about them, yeah. he pretends kind of not to know yeah. and makes excuses for them. Yeah. And... You know, that's some very great psychology yeah. there. The idea that, like, my friends are so shitty, but I know they're guys that I'm going to want to party with later, yeah. so I have to make excuses now so I can live with myself when I go hang out with them yeah. again. You know, that's, that's a real kind of, like, addict depth that Joyce is getting to very subtly. But, you know, they're nowhere to be... Or one of them we never hear from, and the other guy is... is well, uh, Harford. Harford. Well, there's there's a hint that one of the guys could have been little Chandler because oh, they oh. talk about the little yeah. guy with the sandy hair. Yeah. Again, this isn't me. I'm that. sure I read this somewhere, yeah. but uh, that's it's possible. I mean, it could be somebody that we, we know Chandler, very well. I, guess, I can't imagine, but Chandler is well, like he's a timid guy. Maybe he sees how you know. <laughs> oh shit, my friend just fell down the stairs. I'm out of here. <laughs> he would run away. He would run away, yeah. He wouldn't do a movie. Because what's, what's the whole problem? Yeah, the yeah, Harford yeah. probably just ditched the guy, whereas Chandler probably ran right. away in fear. <laughs> right. the, the, the problem is they're, they're afraid they're going to get arrested for public drunkenness. <laughs> right. Which is why I love the fact that Tom, like, where do you live? The man, without answering, began to twirl the ends of his mustache. He made like, he doesn't care. I'm not going to say. Because <laughs> right. he doesn't want to get arrested. The twirling mustache is him yeah. kind of rolling through the Rolodex yeah, yeah. of his mind and, and figuring out the most elegant way to dodge his question. Yeah. It, it's, it's great psychology. It really is. Um, yeah, so, so we're introduced to power, right? Mm-hmm. And you get that good paragraph that talks about like what you were talking about. They're kind of arcs of, you know... Um, how their lives are going. One's going up while the other one's going down. And what does that mean? Ultimately, the other one is going to go down too. Exactly. Just later in life. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I think that's, that's so, that's handled so well. This idea that we're going to take for granted that Dubliners are just going to kind of peak and fall and peak and fall some more dramatically than others, some more frequently than others, but it's going to happen. And it, it says something before we even meet powers about, you know, who he really is, you know, even though he's going to kind of, uh, 
kind of kind of uh, high and mighty. This guy, you know, he's really no better. They're part of the same world. Yeah. You know, he might have a better support system. You know, he might have a couple better breaks, but. And then I thought it's it's after that idea of arc. You get in the next paragraph, the kids, right? Tom's kids, because then you realize the the arc is going to be different for them because they're not going to get as high as either of these guys because it's already. I mean, the cycle doesn't just mm-hmm. repeat; it, it declines. Right. Yeah. And he's surprised. You know, the, he's surprised. Well, I got well, well, I, I have a big question mark next to that. He's surprised at, at their manners and at their accents. In in what way? Uh, surprised. The way I took that is maybe either. since the last time he saw them okay. that it's getting worse. I thought they're just like agrammatical. You know what I mean? Okay, that so. they're not being taught proper English. Yeah. They're they're they seem kind of wild. Like there's a guest in the house, and you know okay. now well, and they're taking advantage of the fact that their dad's incapacitated. Right. Yeah, he's just kind of generally put off by their kind of you know wild feral character particularly since you know you have the wife in here that's you know mm-hmm. kind of raising them. It just seems to be this kind of disdain for how he lives. Mm-hmm. He's clearly had a relationship with the family as a whole because it's referenced that he's mm-hmm. given them money and that uh, you know she says the wife says, you know, look, I would never pin this on you. You've been so helpful yeah. and whatnot. So yeah. he's seen the kids before and now he's seen the kids and they God, I don't recognize these guys. Yeah. I don't recognize these monsters. Yeah. I, I love that scene though where he he's like, let me explain myself. She's like, I, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I got the impression that she's, you know, she really could care less that th- there's a kind of um, sadness and she's certainly embarrassed and annoyed by the whole thing, but she's kind of resigned and she's kind of like gotten into a groove of her life and she doesn't really care. She doesn't really <clears throat> admonish him all that much, except I think for the effect of the other people, you know, well, yeah. she got her own paragraph at some point yeah. and, and we learned that she's, you know, she's given up on him pretty much, you know, a couple weeks or months into the, into the relationship. So, yeah. And you also get that note later on that says he stopped hitting her right when the the children came of age. It's more ambiguous than that. It's you, you have to read a little bit into it to yeah. get the fact oh. that there was, but it's it seems pretty clear. She it's, seems satisfied with that situation. Right. It seems clear he was hitting her at yeah. one point, yeah. and you know I get this whole other narrative where. He stopped hitting her when the boys well, came of age because, because he's going to get his ass kicked. They were going to hit back and defend her. Um, so there's that whole psychology going on. But yeah, no, it, you know, in that same sentence, she says something like, "Hey, he's not so bad." You really kind of get her point of view a little bit. And well, okay, I have it right here because yeah. it kicks off with her, you know, being not okay with him, but saying there there were worse husbands. Right. He had he had never been violent since the boys had grown up, and she knew that he could, would walk to the end of Thomas Street and back again to book even a small order. So yeah, she's giving him a little and shitting on him at the same time. Right. Look, you know, he's not beating me anymore. If I tell him to go get milk, he'll go get milk. Uh, I could do worse. That's like, really sad. <laughs> I, I like the way she's like for her section. She's first introduced the you know she watches the car disappear, and then she withdrew her eyes. Went into the house and emptied her husband's pockets. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, she was expecting where's money. Where's the money? Yeah. Where's expecting the money? money? Yeah, everything in this story is mercenary. Right. It has to do with money, making money, owing money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think what she's closest to maybe Little Chandler's uh, wife, right? Maybe maybe a combination between what Little Chandler deals with and Farrington's. Yeah, wife I thought about Farrington. Yeah. yeah, some. I mean, we've seen again. We don't need the huge details of her life because we have these. 
examples to kind of play with, mm-hmm. these types to play with. I think that's you, the genius of this collection. But what do you do? I love these transitions, you know, where she's thinking, you know, about her, her own wedding and how lovely it was and how much potential there was, you know, and that the idea of him carrying his silk hat grace fully balanced upon his arm. Yeah. You know, his grace is still possible. But then after three weeks, she found a wife's life irksome. Okay. And later on, when she was beginning to find it unbearable, she had become a mother. Like, you're not expecting that she had become a mother. You know, you're expecting something maybe more dramatic or whatnot, but there is that kind of thud of like, you know, she's locked in now. And then we get the part of a mother, which immediately this whole idea br- brings us right back to a mother. Right. The story, exactly, what are yeah. the roles, the type of a mother. Yeah. And you also get, you know, where those kids are now, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting, right? One's in Belfast, one's in Glasgow. And which are all kind of holdings of the British Empire, mm-hmm. but still kind of on the outskirts. You know, they're going to have their different kind of North Irish and mm-hmm. Scottish versions mm-hmm. of this life, you know, but not <laughs> England or not the continent and not, you know, progressing in some way. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think the subtlety with which she's introduced and treated is yeah. is very good. And and his fall wasn't that dramatic because even even in the days of courtship, you know, Mr. Kernan had seemed to her a not, not un- ungallant figure. <laughs> not like yeah. Totes. You know, yeah. Not ungallant. Is that like the- That's like Totes, yeah. Yeah, I guess that right. That's yeah. that's under underselling the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Um yeah, and I automatically think of two gallons there, and you think, mm-hmm. like, oh, so, you know, I think he's playing on that a little You're bit. You're already thinking of two gallons from the first two sure. words of the story. Two gentlemen. Two gentlemen. Right? You're thinking yeah. of, okay. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's right. So, I, I think she, ultimately, I think she, she finds power and his place here unremarkable. Powers put so much more kind of uh, emphasis on this kind of great thing he's doing. I don't she get that. Like, I think she eh, I don't get that at all. I think that she really is grateful that they're doing something. Eventually. I, I, eventually. She starts I think to buy the, into it. No, but even the quote where you say, oh, you needn't tell me that, Mr. Power. I know you're a friend of his. I, I think she means it. I think she's grateful too. I mean, I don't want to overread this, but I don't, I don't get that feeling that she's so resigned that she's I think she's practical to the sense that she thinks maybe this will work, maybe this won't. But I don't think she's kind of like, oh, you know, dismissive of the whole idea. I don't think he's capable of changing, or she thinks he's capable of changing, right? Isn't there a direct narrator kind of quote? But then she says, says, but religion is religion. Right. But but, but (laughs) she doesn't really believe in religion. She also believes in the banshee. She's very practical about her religion. I like the idea that her religion ends with the orbit of her kitchen. She's equally willing to believe in the Holy Ghost as the banshee. All right, I was going to wait on that, but let's get into it. So that's Joyce's point of view about, I think, Dubliner's religious acumen and I think most people's religion in general and I firmly believe in that I mean you know I am you know probably an overstrident you know uh, atheistic you know minded person but I look around at a bunch of you know people that claim to be religious and they don't know shit about dogma they don't know about history not that I think it cares but they all act like they do Right. Also, what are they? What are they into it for? They're into it because it is status. Quote, well, that and also it's generally useful, right? In the exactly. sense, they feel like they're achieving that that goal of 
grace or whatnot, you know, as, as she is, you know, she, she believes steadily in the sacred heart as the most generally useful of all Catholic devotions and approved of the sacraments. You know, she, she knows that she'll get something out of it, you know, it might be intangible, but she'll get something out of it. Well, That's yeah. that kind of uh, what you were talking about before with the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism, yeah. right? At least your understanding of it, I think is, uh, and, and, and the social function of it is as well, because in several times they, they talk about um, Kernan and, and, and whether or not he he could pass for something else or, yes, or, or yes, fit yes. in, right. and it is because of the Protestant his Protestant nature. You would assume so. He's going along with this probably because he he may you know he's getting the, the social pressure and he's getting swept away with everybody. So at this point, there's so. Far away from whatever the the, the pure beliefs are, and right. it's funny because they talk about purity in in the dialogue because the um, the Jesuits have it. Um, some the of the pope? popes, some of the popes the pope? had it. Some of them are not up poisoned, not this up is to the, the knockers. Yeah, this, we have the real old yeah. religion. Um, and that's you know, the only challenge that uh, uh, Tom actually it, it does. He actually wasn't there. Wasn't there some bad popes along the way? And then they counter and, yeah. and sort of say, "No, you know." And but the but popes they're infallible. They're too. infallible too. So he he, he has to get, get taken away with this tide. Yeah. Um, especially you know one of his friends that sort of left them behind was a Protestant, and mm-hmm. so so there is an element that this is the the better bunch and you're better connected and just go with them so and and, and we leave and not to jump to the very end no. we 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 leave him and we, all we're getting is the description of the church and we're 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 getting this 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 crazy speech uh being given to them, which is just sound like you're coming to a compromise with a bunch of bums in front of you because you're just looking for for bodies here. But we never know what's in Tom's head. So for the social element, he just kind of went with them because these are his well, he blends in. By the end, he blends, he blends in. in. He blends because he looks around, he sees people that he recognizes, and blends in. Uh, you know, I, it I get this, a, it's a social club. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's that's not a belief. that's where I'm going. It's not. It's a, belief. a you know, I, I keep getting this feeling of you know with the the, the force of Dubliners, you know, the arc of the stories going from this story from the sister. To, to grace, I feel like this this flow of a river where finally we end with this congregation of people all <laughs> staring towards the same thing. Right. They're staring towards that tiny little red light that is the symbol what of the the Eucharist being in the tabernacle, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's where we're all there. We finally made it to the end, right? And what is the end? The most like I just feel like I'm at some sort of. Uh, like self-help, like self-help, like a, like a, like how to feel good about raping the world, uh, corporation, uh, retreat. It's for businessmen. Right. It's for businessmen. It's <laughs> so like, I, it's just, it's so, yeah. well, it's, I, it, you know, it's just such an anticlimax that it's like the perfect ending for yeah. that depressing beginning. Like this is, there's so much hope in what could happen for that boy. And this is what he has to look forward to. Yeah, no, the treatment's great. And you know, I, I love, Framing this in terms of how he his silk hat, right? He's a, <laughs> by the grace of God, that silk hat or some of this. That, that like silk that. hat goes on an adventure through this yes, whole story. It does. Um, it's picked off the dirty floor, <laughs> put back on. The wife fixes it, but that silk hat, right? So that's I love the word grace associated with the hat, right? Because that is your outer appearance. Yeah. That is, you know, <laughs> you, you looking the part. Yeah. But that is Joyce knows that has nothing to do with your soul. Yeah. That's brought up so many times. Like, for example, Martin Cunningham, they talk about all the great virtues of Martin Cunningham, 
you know, in the narrative, uh, from the narrator's voice, why people think so much of him. And the last thing it said is, and he had a face like Shakespeare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that matters. I think that's great. <laughs> he has a fa- yeah. Um, I appreciate a face like Shakespeare, I suppose. <laughs> but all right. But isn't that how most people not only kind of embrace religion in at least our modern society, probably through all of time, but how the world functions in general, right? You you favor the social, the mm-hmm. the facade of the thing more than the essence because the essence is hard, yeah. right? It's hard to really, it's too nuanced. It's, you know, it probably comes from our evolutionary needs, you know, more than anything, but that is the nature of humanity. To judge, to prejudge is natural. I don't think it's best. It's usually creates more problems than the benefits, but it seems to be the kind of natural default or... At least that's, I think, Joyce's pessimistic view here, which is warranted, I think. All right. So there's, um, I love the transition from part one to part two. Do you guys have ellipses? Mm, yeah, uh, in the text, because well, I've got the same, similar text well, that you have. Yeah. I actually read this in a different text, and it didn't have the ellipses. Then I grabbed my book just yeah. to check, and I was like, oh, yeah, it does. The, th- the two, three parts are clearly, clearly um, separated. But I love the transition from part one to part two. Mm-hmm. You get, um, you know, power with his kind of, you know, trite, you know, we'll make a new man of him, he said. Good night, Mrs. Kiernan. Then you have the break, and then you get Mrs. Kiernan's thoughts. Those are connected ideas. You know what I mean? They sh- that should flow naturally. The break should actually come about later on, I think, you know, after you get this discussion. Or I think the discussion of Mrs. Kiernan should have been earlier. But then you get Mrs. Kiernan's puzzled eyes, watched the cars so she was out of sight. Then she withdrew them, went into the house, and emptied her husband's pockets. That is such a great beginning to if this is if this is now going to be about his new life. Joyce wants to start this new part out in this very cheeky, undercutting way. How to do it? First off, she doesn't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. Yeah. She's just as puzzled as we are, and as kind of, kind of just lost for how this is actually going to happen. And she's going to start with his pants. You know, like you said before, looking through them. It, it's such a great smart structuring technique. You know, that break at that point, I don't know. I, no, um, I never, I didn't I notice it's it because logically it should start off with the next day or exactly. something like that. <laughs> but he uses it to take up with that moment and then go into her because the next paragraph is is, yeah. is the one dedicated, you know, dealing with It's her. almost like he's saying, we're, by God, we're going we're gonna to fix this guy. But before we do that, let me tell you about all the shit <laughs> that, that we have to overcome to do it, right? Yeah. Joy, I mean, I, I don't think that's heavy handed. I think that is like very smart structuring. Ah. I was so taken with that. Like it took me like two or three reads to figure that. But um, all right, what else? What else? So as we get into the conversation with the guys, right? There are a couple, I think, fun ironies <laughs> that are going on. I-, I love the way that Kiernan is infantilized by his wife. And then, to some degree, by the guys around him. And part of it is, you know, this kind of ruse. You yeah. know, oh, like, no, without a doubt. They have no respect for him <laughs> as, as, like, a kind of man, as a peer, you know? Well, you could imagine he's done this before. Something not to this degree, but he seems to be some sort of public, you know, drunkard yeah. to a certain extent. And the worst part is he really has no sense that uh, of this at all. He has no real knowledge that... No. that um, 
that they think very low of him. Um, I, I think he has uh, maybe a little embarrassed by the wife's treatment, but he seems to kind of shrug that off as you know, women. You know, like he kind of he kind of gives himself over to that kind of you know um, chasing child's role mm-hmm. in a way. Right. But at he the same a, time, a his, his dignity is very important because he keeps bringing right. it up. He keeps bringing up his dignity. Yeah, there's there's such a kind He's, of strange tension. Tom there. is interesting. Everyone in the story is so sure of themselves. Perhaps not McCoy, but well, actually McCoy, when he speaks, sounds sure of himself and what he knows. Kernan goes back and forth. Yeah. Kernan is, you know, warms up to the idea of religion and then flips immediately. Like he's constantly just flipping with the wind. Yeah, he's all over the place. But but there even even the the guys that have a lot of self assurance even if cracks, right? There's a point where they're all trying to like out, you know, um, uh, slogan each other at the oh, end, yeah. you know, and uh, you get behind me, Satan. And then there's a note that you know powers. Really couldn't think of anything to say or yeah. something like that. No. You know that that like it's easy to trip them up, even yeah. though they have this kind of self delusion about themselves. There's really no substance when they really dig deep. The best they can do is some kind of cliche, but they can't even always find that cliche yeah. that works. Yeah. Quick question: So if, there, if there's really no uh, deep belief and they don't really have respect for him, what's their motivation? Is it just pretty much the social one of showing up with this extra guy and hey, look? Father, we're saving another soul because that's kind of. Do you have any thoughts? I got a sense that there is some aspect of wanting to do good and do right by what society would expect. They think this gets some points into heaven, or at least this gives the impression to society that they're good men. You know what I mean? Well, you, I mean, you, you, we already established that the wife thinks that Powers is great, and we've already yeah. talked that you know, well, at least if you if you know the other stories, that you know, Powers is kind of a dirtbag in, in in general. So I guess that does make sense. Yes, yeah. yeah. All of these guys clearly have their own agenda, right? That gets in the way of their their kind of crusade, but they believe themselves to be crusaders. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think some of them are more sincere than others, right? Cunningham and McCoy seem more sincere than Powell. Powers? Power. Power, yeah, I can Power. I keep saying it wrong, I think. Um, but they all have a kind of, I, I think it, it achieves a kind of grandiosity of self in mm-hmm. a way. You know, I mean, isn't it the Certainly basic? With Cunningham, Cunningham takes over, and and there's there's the power dynamics are fun to follow. I just seized yeah. on a paragraph. Mister Power stood up to officiate, offering her, Miss Kernan, his chair. She declined it, saying she was ironing downstairs. And after having exchanged a nod with Mister Cunningham behind Mister Power's back, <laughs> prepared to leave the room. Like so, there's. You know, Cunningham clearly is assuming some sort of you know, almost like a marshal role in this. He's like the general. He's trying to outmaneuver all the others. You know, yeah. It's all one-upsmanship in their ability to save this guy's soul. Right. Whereas Kernan is the buffoon who's constantly... I mean, they're all buffoons, but Kernan is the buffoon who's constantly... You know, one moment he's talking about, yeah, that constable, what a nice guy. And the next moment, I'm going to write a letter to the paper. These these <laughs> yahoos coming yeah. in from nowhere. You know, he's all over the place. They can't quite pin him down. Well... He's being authentic, though. Yeah. Right? I get the sense that none of these other guys are. These guys are all kind of putting on the face of piety. Yeah. No, Kiernan's at least living his own life. And he's asking you know, real questions. He's, right. he's like, wait, weren't some of the popes, you know, a little bit compromised? And Yeah. I, uh, early on when people are arriving, uh, he seemed to take pride. mentioned taking pride in this yeah. whole situation. So <laughs> I guess he is owning, he in a way, he is owning up to his own. 
stuff, yeah. and he's okay with it. Yeah, he's the most sincere and authentic of the lot, Kieran. You know, he's he's just an asshole. You know, but I don't know. I think I, I prefer him because you know he says what he's on his mind. You know. It, Jumping a little forward, you know, you get to, I'm not going to light a candle. That's ridiculous. Powers in the same situation would probably go with it. You know, oh, yes, no, I'll light the candle. I'll do what everyone says. Kind of go with the crowd. Kiernan can't. It's not in him to just acquiesce blindly. I appreciate that, you know. Um, But he ultimately does. So we can't say, like, he's he's, he's too much of a... (laughs) I I think he does because he... Is a dupe, right? Because he, they authentically sell him on the idea that that he will be redeemed, or this will be a great social moment, and he can be part of the crew, and mm-hmm. and all this, you know, not because he gets any kind of ulterior ulterior kind of um, motives or, or or benefits from it. I don't know. Um, oh well. So, what do you make of Harford coming in? I mean, it seems like. It seems like an unnecessary, like Har- coming in Harford. I mean, being coming into the story, um, you, you know, you get Harford and you get Fogarty. I, I'm not sure what they add necessarily to the story. Well, I guess well, Harford's Harford, just talked about right yeah. as being the absent guy that ditched him, but then shows up later and he's yeah. at the service, which I think is of a course he is. Yeah. You know? uh, he'll he'll ditch him that night, but yeah. he'll show up for the redemption later. Um, Fogarty. Who shows up? He plays a real role in it. I mean, he's one of the speakers through their yeah. helps them navigate through all their kind of half truths and inaccuracies about popes, and he corrects their Latin but gets it wrong too. And yeah, and he brings more booze. And he brings more booze. Right? Yeah. And it's referenced that Kernan owes him money for groceries. Yeah. Which is referenced again in Ulysses. Somebody says, uh, oh, did Kernan ever pay Fogarty for his grocer- groceries? Yeah, is it really? Yeah, yeah. You have an incredible mind for those kind of details. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this in oh, a commentary are? somewhere. It's not like I have this incredible wow. memory of Ulysses. Please, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Full disclosure, like I you research the hell out of this. But I do remember, like afterwards, because these names sound so familiar. Yeah. You read them like... Having read, you know, Ulysses many times, probably the book I've read most. Yeah, I like Martin Cunningham. Shit, where does that? I know, I know that name. And you know, once you look it up, like, oh, that's right, he's in Hades. Him, well, him, I have a very yeah. clear because he's such a big part. They're of all that McCoy's chat. in McCoy. Bloom runs McCoy into too. McCoy, and yeah. the first thing Bloom thinks is, oh shit, he's going to try to get my my briefcase or my valise because remember that's what he does. He he gets these valises by saying, oh, my wife has an engagement singing somewhere. Can I borrow your briefcase or whatever for it? And then he never gives them back. What is that in? That's in the... That's in Lotus Eaters. I Lotus think. Eaters. That makes sense. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Because he's going to get the food. Mm-hmm. Right? He takes a bath. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to you. Listening. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so uh, speaking of, of the drunkenness, right? Uh, I love the idea that right, they're slowly getting drunk as they sit here too, right? And that's loosening their tongues a little. That's uh-huh. kind of, you know, problematizing their their history facts and their Latin. And, and I, you know, the great irony is booze got us into this mess, but nobody really suggests that we all stop drinking, yeah. right? Which is, that, which is the crux of, I think, their critique, you know? It's too hard to stop drinking. What's, be- what's easier is to paste on us this kind of faux religiosity mm. and that'll take care of it because the real crime of the society through Joyce's point of view is the alcoholism 
But as we can have this intervention, we can all get drunk. And not only that, we can notice like who gets what portion and how the kind of social etiquette goes. Those details are always spot on. The religion they profess to be at the core of their being, who really gives a shit if we get the details right? We have to sound good espousing that, right? I mean, that's the great critique of this story, I think. It's really well done. I mean, alcohol's in almost all the stories, yeah. okay? But uh, Farrington and Tom here, it seems as like they're the only two that are really, really affected by it. I think he keeps I it think kind that's of, right. I think he, uh, well, the rest of it's sort of just like a, a, a sort of it underscores who people are and like what they're doing, but it it's not as pronounced. Like, it, like yeah. you can see like this guy, you know, <laughs> bit his whole tongue off for Christ's sake. And Farrington's whacking his kid around and he seems to be, you know, in, in a horrible state. The rest of the characters who... <laughs> Who drink? It's just like a part of their their their, their yeah. being. Yeah, in terms of the primary characters, definitely. I think there's some secondary characters, like maybe the. Uh, in the dead, you have Freddie Mylans, who's yeah. I mean, it's he not gets like, It's not like he's destructive or you know self destructive. I was thinking Evelyn's father. Yeah. Um, maybe like the uh, the drunk that enca- during the encounter. Like those guys, but but you're right in terms of I think a focus. I, I think you know I, I was a little maybe quick to say this is like about religion. I think this is about the intersection, the play between religion and alcoholism. Like I think there's a kind of dichotomy being set up here that I think is really subtle and well done. That these are our choices in a sense. Um, the re- real grace in every sense of the word would be sobriety here. For these people that are and don't, engulfed, and in, don't you get the sense alcohol. that when power brings up the retreat, that's what it's going to be about? Don't, like that, when I first read this story, and he mentioned, right. I was like, "Oh, okay, he's going to get this guy on the wagon. They're going to on the wagon." So yeah, I'm like, the wagon. It's, it's like Seinfeld. Like Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, and, <laughs> right, then, and then the whiskey comes. Right, but no, but, 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 they said pretty quickly that it's. Uh, wait, I forget what does the whiskey come before they've announced that it's actually they're going to go to a church and wash the pot. Like, I thought it was going to be pretty clear from the bring, outset. Yeah, yeah, later. Later. Well, no. The yeah, wife serves serve stout, and that's the right. first surprise, that they're, they're going to be drinking stout. But then right. you can kind of dismiss it. Okay, they drank stout all the time. And it's hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, when I first, I remember that being kind of one of the first shocks yeah. of right. the story that, okay, this is going to be about redemption in that sense. They're going to make him take the pledge and... But there's nothing about no, that. What, that's that, never addressed. That pre and by the way, you know we're we're all currently you know drinking beers, or most of us anyway. You, you know we're, we're not teetotalers, you know by by any kind of you know sense of the word. But Joyce seems to say like make a clear line that this is the problem. If that's the case, the priest should be you know you need to sober up. You need to get this going. What does he talk about? Business. You know like like. This this ridiculous um, uh, critique of this passage in terms of how how you can really how you can really justify your life through scripture no matter how what your actions are right that that it's 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 not about deeds it's about kind of your ability to to argue mm-hmm. you know it's well, going back to the to the alcohol aspect I, I don't. <sighs> Because if, if we look at like a character, Little Chandler, okay. Mm-hmm. So I associate, you know, for Joyce, the big problem is, you know, you're trapped, you're limited, you know, you're you're living in that existence, and the older that you get, your opportunities are sort of dwindling away. So what do you do? You 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 
intoxicate yourself. So I don't think he's saying that alcohol, I don't think that's leading the way. If, if you were to ask Joyce about, Hey, what's the problem in Dublin? I think it's the trap nature that this is. And, yeah. and, and, and to, to offset it, you do. Yeah, yeah. It's a big part of it. The cycle yeah. of debt, the cycle of, yeah. you know, un, being you unable like to the fact that your, your generation after you is even worse off than mm. uh, you were. I, I'm, I think I'm a big proponent of the idea that, you know, alcoholism, drug abuse, any kind of like personal vices yeah. are are a symptom of poverty yeah. for the most part or a symptom of some kind of like, you know, personal issue, some psychological issue, something like that. Um, you know, I, I think so Joyce has an early read on this. It's a symptom of paralysis. Right. It's a, and so we you know, if you go back, I, you know, pound those three themes, but... We got paralysis here. We got the incomplete nature of debt, owing something, biting off a tongue. You know, we've got so that incomplete nomen. We've got the the simony with the message of the church. Yeah, you got all. I mean, this this is this is. Uh, it's not just about religion. It's not just about debt. It's not just about you know the 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 you know stifling nature of Dublin and lack of opportunities. It's about all of it. That's why I think it's, it's such a great. It's a great yeah. capstone story. Right. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I totally get that. Um, and it's about class. Yeah, it's about totally about class. Hugely about yeah. class. So, so I, I need a little enlightenment on this. That whole thing about throwing the cabbage and mm-hmm. you know the, what the hell is that? So here's here's <laughs> how I'm reading it, and I didn't really do any research on this or anything. It's about it's about people like people in power that are giving handouts to other people and humiliating them well, while cops. doing it. Correct? They're cops. Yeah, they're recruits. Country bumpkins that have come up and now they're working in the municipal police force, and the idea is that uh, the way they're treated, you know, during mess yeah. is you got your big pot, you got your cabbage because of course that's all you're going to feed them, and how do you feed them? You know, just you know, the first thing you got to learn how to do is catch your cabbage. You got to catch your food. It's humiliation, yeah. and it's horrific. Yeah, but they find it hilarious, and it's yeah. it's like a byword. They just mention it. They all start. Even McCoy, who pretends he doesn't know it knows it. The only reason why he says he doesn't know is because he's dying to right. be part of the conversation. I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot of truth in it. It's yeah. basically the story of Donald Trump and, yeah. you know, <laughs> and building walls and things like that. It's basically humiliate those to other them so I can feel better about myself. Yeah. Right. And, and so Kernan initially is very pleased with his treatment of the cop, but then finds out that the cop was interested in him and then says, I'm going to write a letter to the papers or whatnot. So it's, you know, it's hard. It's you know hard to grapple with, but the cop is almost feels like the victim here. You know, the the guy who's just trying to do his job. You know, he's almost the most sympathetic person here because everyone's crapping on him. Right. In your in your hold on just real quick in, in your in your research, did you come across like why they, they they seem to tap into provincial sort of people to to be cops? Or I got the sense like in the story that there was a lot like that was sort of that seemed popular. like the thing, right? That seemed yeah. like the stereotype. I don't know. Maybe no one wants to be cops. I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right. What yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So moving on to the third part, yeah, I sure. suppose. Yeah. Um, oh, what's up? Really? Oh, no, no, no. What do you oh, got, buddy? Throw it all out. I just, I have, I, I don't know. Let's see. Throw it all out. No, I just like, I'm circle little things that I liked about their conversation, things that I thought were funny, like what they're saying and how they're, there's so many non sequiturs that, yeah. you know, like for example, you know, Pope Leo, you know, was a great scholar and a poet. 
He had a strong face, said Mr. Kernan. Yes, said <laughs> Mr. Cunningham. He wrote Latin poetry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> together, do you know any of his poetry? I do indeed. I oh, found, that. I found the actual poem. Is the photograph poem? It's real? It is. It's real. <laughs> um, you want a quick translation? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Well, you translated it? Well, I wrote the Latin. Very I mean, good. I, so, Look at you. Um, sh- an image having been expressed by a ray of sun... As well as the beauty of a face. I can't read my handwriting here. (laughs) Um, Bringing the force of lights and uh, like pleasure of the face or something like that. Oh, wondrous virtue of genius and new omen or monstrosity, I guess, depending on how you take it. Apelles, who I guess is a, he's a famous sculptor, ancient mm-hmm. Greek sculptor. Apelles uh, could not paint a more beautiful image. Apelles, as a rival, could not paint a more beautiful image of nature. That's <laughs> beautiful. It's, I mean, it's winning. It's not great. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know. I don't. I don't know anything about the meter of it or whatnot. But I think the the the, the joke is kind of like. You know, he wrote Latin poetry, so therefore it must be good, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But it's not great. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Standards of Latin poetry. But their Latin is wrong, right? They're oh, and they're doing well, looks upon looks. As but they use that's, the word upon. Yeah, upon, yeah. <laughs> apparently that whole thing is completely misconstrued. Popes don't have mottos, but apparently there is some sort of like body of prophecies, like almost like a Nostradamus thing where oh. somebody wrote mottos for each of the future popes. Oh, really? So that's what they're misconstruing here. God. But I love how certain they are. Each one like, no, no, it's definitely this. And you know, Fogarty is always getting in there with his erudition because right, <laughs> that's his big thing, right? He doesn't have anything else, but he, he thinks he can ingratiate himself with the population by his his learning or whatnot, so he enunciates very carefully. You <laughs> see that all the time. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I think that that interplay is great. You know, like I don't know, you know, the details about the Jesuits and all that, but I think Joyce gives a good enough indication that they're a little wrong, and you know, has mm-hmm. fun with it. I think it's all pretty good stuff. You good? You want to move on? Yeah, we can move on. You sure? Yeah, we luxuriate over these things, you know. Um, so Father Perdon, Perdon, Perdon. Perdone? Yeah. I don't know. Um, he is, to me, the most detestable character His name in the story. is a uh, very famous, named after a very famous street of uh, Nighttown, right? The I, Red yes, I knew that. Yeah. So immediately, you, you, if, if you, you know, know that reference, then every time you're thinking of that, because there's all these references to the red light, his red face. It's a brothel. And even if you don't get that, his red face, why is his face so flushed? Right. Why has he got that big, fat red face? Yeah, which reminds me of of sisters, yeah. right? As you were talking about before, I, I thought a lot about this portrayal of the priest, the priest in terms of sisters. And I, you know, I, I get it that it ultimately is not the end of the story, but Joyce thought it would, uh, the end of the collection, Joyce thought it would, that is an excellent connection. I, I hadn't really thought of it like this before you mentioned that, but, um, you know, basically we start out with a corrupted priest that we kind of like, and we end with a priest in good stead with the community that we don't like at yeah. all, right? That, what a great book ending. Um, but, you know, he's just so full of nonsense, right? He's the worst of spiritual leaders, I think. Basically, the message is um, show up and 
we can kind of make it work for you, yeah. right? That there doesn't really have to be any substance yeah. to your belief or your sense to show up, right? That's horrifying. Um, but, but I love that idea, right? Isn't that exactly what a brothel is? Just show up. We'll take care of you. It'll be okay as long as you can pay. Everything's yeah. going to be fine. <laughs> well, there is a difference there. So these guys don't have to pay at the church. They're paying something, but they're not paying. They're not paying coin. Yeah, I think that's right. What are they paying? They're they're giving their time. They're giving their time. They're they're putting, yeah. Look, if you pay off your if you pay your religious debt, if you get right with God, don't worry about your financial debt. That's yeah. a, that's basically the message, right? Well, don't worry about your financial debt, but make sure you pay the coffer before you leave though <laughs> no, I, I, that's not stated directly but that's yeah, certainly would assume the it, mentality yeah, yeah, right. you know I mean I remember back in the old days right uh, when you know my family was a church going lot the, the priests used to have sermons about you know oh, you yeah. should be paying whatever it is yeah. either 10% yeah. or 20% yeah. of what you make and that's you know the the Catholic Church is a, is a wealthy organization. I would assume the, no. the Irish Catholics, they really, really, they believed in tithing. Like it was Absolutely. Uh, more than anybody. I'm sure the priests believe in most of all. Um, but no, I, 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 that comparison is very bold, you know, of, of the brothel, the Purdon thing. And I, I don't think it's too heavy-handed here. I think it's done pretty well. But so when, when we went to church, Tom, did we, we had, yeah, there was a, a candle that was lit when the Eucharist was in Tabernacle? The tabernacle, right? Yeah. Right? And so th- this must just be a candle that has like a red exterior that glows. Yeah, I remember there yeah. always being a light. I don't know whether it was a candle or uh, something that was like, like electric, electric, but like there was always, I yeah, remember. I do remember that yeah. during my brief stint as an old yeah, people. Because I remember as a boy, you were an old boy? Yeah. Get out of here. Wow. Uh, I remember you couldn't go near that candle. In fact, I couldn't go near the tabernacle. Like that was, that was the priest's place. I had to mess with the other candles and arrange things, a lot of candles involved, but I couldn't go over near the tabernacle. That was like off limits. Mm. So yeah, but the candle was usually lit. As you were caught eating the Eucharist, uh, you know, when you were hungry. That's snack. weird. So, did I say that before? No. Oh, because that was a weird thing. Just picture you with like a, a jar of skippies and like like dipping the wafers in. And so, so do you care about this? This is, this is some strange uh, juvenilia. But the is that right? Well, yeah, I guess I'm going to go with juvenilia there. I guess that would be artistic work, but this is some artistic work. Um, there, there was a kind of status symbol among the altar boys that if you took unconsecrated you know, uh, discs, the, the, the bread, the Eucharist, I guess it's not the wafers, the wafers before they would come to Eucharist, that that was like a cool thing to do. So you would like sneak and grab a couple. I'm not Save sure. them like trophies. <laughs> no, no, no. To, to eat them. Oh. But I they didn't taste like anything. I'm not sure. It was a very strange thing. Like this is like your sixth or seventh grade kind of like cool yeah. Catholic school thing to do. I didn't do it, but he's right. It was popular. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know that I even did it either. Maybe once, but I was probably petrified. I was petrified. Of, yeah. But right. That was a thing. Like, yeah. like stealing. It was almost like a kind of like right of an altar boy that maybe demonstrated <laughs> that like, I don't believe in all this or I'm cooler than the dogma. But we certainly did. We were, we were steeped in it. The wine would have been cooler. The wine was non-alcoholic. Yeah. What? Yeah. As far as I understood it, like that wasn't a big deal. For some reason, it was a bre- strange youth things. I don't know. I'm, I'm not advocating stealing Eucharist. I don't think it really means anything, but that is what happened. Um, so the let me ask you this. Do you think that these guys are better off 
having gone to this service and at least go through the, the, the steps of this kind of organized experience rather than not. Are these guys, is Kiernan better off particularly? You know, what's what's the role of religion? And, and, and people always talk about, well, if it didn't exist, you'd have a bunch of people running around like lunatics. So in this situation, perhaps they'd be even sketchier and shadier than they would be without it. So this is the only thing that kind of keeps them sort of uh, reeled in a little yeah. bit. So it, it's, it has a social element of keeping everybody kind of chummy with each other. And it does provide like some sort of social leash for, for all of them. But at the same time, it's revealed what each one of them does. You right. get the sense that they're doing what they're doing in spite of their social connections well, in this one. Place. Would you prefer to be naked though? Would you prefer their, would it be their vices to be? Would it be? Cause they might just be. Oh, they're scum. Yeah. A, to us, they're yeah, scumbag yeah. hypocrites, but in reality, you know, well, ultimately, for, for, I'm sorry, go ahead. Ultimately, I would like them to, you know, sober up, maybe get some psychological counseling, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe go into some couple therapy with their wives. They seem to have terrible relationships, maybe spend some time outside of the bar and with their children on the weekends, but that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, that seems like an incredible impossibility given Joyce's purview. I, this might be perf- preferable if, because what's the alternative? I guess the alternative is they're all going to be in a pub you know, making the situation worse. Because your, your 21st century solution, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we go back here. Okay, so they sober up and stuff like that. And then what are they left with? They look around, they're, they're in Dublin. And they, they're all subjected to the same paralysis that yeah. every other person of their social class is subject to. Yeah. So I think they're maybe slightly better off than doing nothing. Yeah. But this is certainly not ideal. Because, you know, they're half buying into it. Yeah. So you get the feeling like I'm okay. The afterlife thing's going to work out. I got got one, I got one foot into, you know, in, in the, in the material world and, and, and some of the vices associated. So you're living a little bit of both. You just, you just toggle back and forth to once again, metaphorically scrub the pot and do your worldly things. So the priest, you know, he, he, he understands you got to do, you got to do the worldly things as well. So, do you think that Purden is a guy that understands all this or somebody that is just blind to it? Does he really believe in his bullshit? Well, my, my question to you was, like, what is his, going back to the motivation, what's his motivation for bringing all these humans? If it isn't, I'm going to get like five guys to tithe on, 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 on Sunday. That's part of it. I mean, is it just pure bodies? Is it just, you know, uh, he has to uh, kind of go through this, this, this perfunctory sort of uh, uh, gather the community and, and sell them on the idea of God. You know, like, is, this, he, is he just going through the actions, as you say, and, and he's not a, a believer either? I don't know. Like, why is he doing it? Well, earlier in the text, right, one of the markers of a good priest is your ability to put asses in the seat, right? Yeah. That Burke, right, the, who's yeah. apparently like a famous preacher of his day or something. The, the, these guys are very proud to have seen him, right? To 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 his, in a sense, Purdon wants popularity. He wants he wants to maintain his office. He wants the power that goes with being able to stir a crowd. You know, it's vain. I think. Yeah. It's similar to um, Kiernan Selkat. His grace is his ability to be liked, to have uh, social. Status. Yeah, I didn't read too much into Purden at all as a character because he's just kind of like a... He's the cipher for the message yeah. of of what 
you know, the message that's being sent. He's just like, he's, I dismiss him right away when he's, he's just this big fat red face above the balustrade, right? Mouthing the message. So like, I never really thought about his motivation, but the message is so distorted. Yes. Well, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the problem. Like if he, if he's just basically a mouthpiece for the Vatican, no, 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 he's a mouthpiece for this message. So you're wondering why, why is it so this, Maybe because he feels like that's the only way to get this crowd in. Yeah, yeah. And keep this crowd. I think so. Oh, yeah. I see. I don't know. I, I think he's a guy that you know. If you really sat him down and said, "Do you really believe this?" and held him, he'd be like, "Nah, not really." You know. But it doesn't really matter because it's a means to an end, yeah. right? And if it takes. You know, basically saying the opposite, I think, of what the text says in order to get these guys kind of to buy in. I think he thinks it's worth it. Mm -hmm. And and maybe at least part of that is well-intentioned. And I probably buy into that. But part of it is also disingenuous, which is the opposite of what religion should provide. Religion is supposed to provide purity and truth. And this is not purity to nor truth. It, to bring you to a state of grace. To bring you to a state of grace, exactly. The word grace, that is the title, brilliantly so, has been ultimately corrupted when you get his reading of this. Yeah. And I love the metaphor about accountants. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I mean, you that's, know. That's referenced earlier when uh, I think McCoy calls Christ the Redeemer, which in a different context, you wouldn't even think anything otherwise. But then in this context, like, oh, yes. It means to give a receipt to somebody or something like that. Yeah, he's the counter of souls. Well, no. I mean, the meek shall inherit the earth. You know, capitalism does not really factor into the meek inherit the earth. It's a different system altogether. But that's not a selling point. The same way... Am I getting too kind of a high horse here? No. The same way that that modern politicians appeal to the lowest common denominators of a kind of Christian base in order to to gain power. That has nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, you know, what uh, a camel will go through the eye of the needle before a rich man will get into heaven pretty much undoes everything I know about the Protestant work ethic, yeah. which is the kind of base of American, you know, republicanism. It, it's strange that, you know, somehow the American God has been associated <laughs> into this, a, a kind of capitalistic yeah. monster. What's what's the guy? Joel uh, Olstein. Olstein. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm talking about. Basically, oh, I'm, 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 I'm rich because yeah. God wants me yeah. to be rich. Right. You know, the, it's... Yeah. Well, let's put it in historical context. If this is... He's writing this probably, what, 04, 05? Or? 05, I think he finished. Okay, so uh, he's doing that. You could imagine that Dublin is going through similar issues of, of what the continent went through a couple decades before, where, where the church is just taking like hit after hit in that in that second half of, I mean, they've taken hits from the Reformation on, but really in that second half of the 19th century, it's like it, it, it really is losing a tremendous amount of membership. Yeah. So maybe he's just in a very practical sense, you know, selling me <laughs> Jesus was not a hard taskmaster, yeah. Yeah. which is how, you know, the paragraph. Think about it. In, even so in Dublin at this time, you could probably, you couldn't spit without hitting a church. So people are probably competing also for congregations. Yeah. So it's not just that congregations might be dwindling, how do you maintain your market share when yeah. you've got a church here, a church here, a church here? Yeah, right, yeah. right. And, is that, and I wouldn't say that they're defecting to anything, but the the discipline that may have existed generations before 
as Dublin was still like, or, or you know, could it be interpreted as like you know a real outlying sort of burg of the of the uh, of, of of Britain. Now it's becoming as you're in the beginning of the 20th century, it's becoming more urban. It's in, industrial. The numbers are getting bigger. Yeah, you're signed up with a church. Are you actually physically going yeah. though? So, it, without back? a doubt, without a doubt. The idea of religion is changing, and maybe he's just grabbing on. You to see it. that, Mrs. Kiernan. Right? Yeah, she's an example. She's of the example that. of that. Right? We got, who, uh, Clay. Who's Clay? M- M- Maria. Maria. Like we're not. We don't see her. I don't. I think there's less and less of her, and more and more of of Mrs. Kier, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Kiernan in, 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 in Dublin. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I love that little just, note, right? Probably the best line in the text, you know. But she, she believed in the banshee, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's not real belief, I think, you know. like, Or it's, it's this idea that, like, how I define myself as a religious person is just as good as the kind of old mythologies. You, you know, that's... Well, and it also equates the Holy Ghost to the banshee, <laughs> but it's all the same. Yeah, exactly. So you, you mind if we look at this uh, text for a second? I just want to know if I'm reading this right. So for the children right. of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light, right? That's the text, the gospel. I don't know what the passage is, but I read that. I say, all right, so there's a dichotomy set up. The children of the world versus the children of light, the kind of material kind of people in the world, right? People that deal with things like money and status, are fav- um, are wiser than those of light. That seems to be antithetical to everything else that the, the New Testament says. Now, I get that he can use this text as an interpretation that meets the needs of these quote-unquote businessmen, but this is a strange biblical message, mm-hmm. right? This is very incongruent with the words of Jesus. Do you, you know where this is from? I don't remember exactly where it's from, but it's it's part of the parable of the servant who has money left to him by his master and uh, doesn't, doesn't use it well. And then ultimately the master comes back and relieves him. He's so upset with him because of the fact that he didn't make any money. And then the servant goes around to all of his masters, all the people that the master owes money to and is able to talk down the debts to them or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I've looked at it. So yeah. uh, I don't there, know. The, the passage is problematic because it sticks right. out like a sore thumb and it doesn't, it seems like it's go flies in the face of the Christian. It's message. not render unto Caesar's what is no. Caesar's and unto no. God what is God's or flipping tables in the temple, you know, no. to, to demonstrate a difference between those worlds. It's very strange, you know, and I think Joyce is savvy enough to know that this is kind of the the hucksterism that is available in the literature, right? That you can you can grab whatever you want for your own purposes. But, the same way that, you know, people grab home, uh, passages about homosexuality and use them for their own purpose. But, but the same way that hucksterism was a part of the church from like high medieval, you know, sure. medieval times and straight into... Since you Peter know, Paul, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, lighting bolts are coming. Ah, that's okay. All right, so how do we feel about all this? We feel okay? You know, I, I think I came around in this story a little more. I wouldn't say it's maybe top half, but I think it's 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 higher up in my opinion than I initially thought. There's there's a lot of interesting things going on. I think it's a I think it's a better text than the the other public ones. Keep in mind, it all it, it probably gets 
overshadowed by the fact that the dead is right after it. I get that. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think that's part of it. Like I'll admit, it's one of the stories that I just don't remember. Like I remember so many of the other ones. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, you remember the dead and you remember the early ones. And then there's a couple in the middle that you remember very well, but it's quiet. You don't have those yeah. big dramatic moments of Evelyn yeah. on, you know, yeah. watching the boat leave or yeah. the, the, um, encounter with the, the man, you know? And like, I think Tom was saying earlier, it's, it's, tough to enjoy because you don't really want to spend time with any of these people, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, that shouldn't be a criteria yeah, in no, which to judge not. the quality of a story, but it does come into our own engagement with the story. I, and I think what made, you know, if we were going to go to like words, I, I, I just enjoy like his, uh, the couplings of words that he uses in, 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 in the earlier stories. Yeah, yeah. I think his descriptions are, 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 you know, just more lyrical. colorful. They're lyrical. They're lyrical. I was going to say, it's more this poetic. Is more, it's this more, is more yeah. earthy. This is more yeah. like, it's, yeah. And you, it's, and you it's public shift, life. Yeah, it's public life. Like public and you life. shift gears into Dublin parlance and you're kind of bouncing around in their yeah. conversation. Whereas, you know, even if we think of like, you know, a, a story that, that has sort of a, a, a sordid lean, you know, the two gallons, gallons. Remember the opening. Yeah. The opening is like majestic yeah. and it's beautiful. And I think you're hooked by the language, even even if you don't buy, you know, these two unsavory cat, uh, you know, characters, you're not like, you know, living vicariously through. But think of it that so that I think that that serves this story well, then, because it's stripped of all of that. Mm-hmm. There is no illusion here. No, you there's know, not. Your, your Dublin public life is held up to the mirror, you yeah. know, darkly well, so. And, and that's in, in, in Ivy Day also. Yeah, I, I got the so. same element because you have a whole bunch of people, you know, so you get all of these characters and, and the one thing that's the, that's the common denominator. Yeah. This is the, this is your collective intelligence. Yeah. You know, this is what the average person is sort of thinking, whether it's misinformation about politicians and little bits of history here and there. Uh, and re- reductive statements and, and, and just, you know, offhanded conversations or uh, their interpretation of, of, of the Bible and the Pope and all sorts of, you know, things that are just just blatantly wrong. Yeah. And looking forward to the dead. I mean, as problematic as a lot of those characters are, I want to be in that room with them experiencing that, you know, mm-hmm. with the dancing and the food yeah. and, you know, the, the kind of lush setting. And I never get this here or in Ivy Day, right? They're, they're cold. It's, it's designed to be kind of, you know, off-putting, I think. And that's part of it. There's, there's no discovery here, right? What is the epiphany here? You know, um, what, what is yeah, the, I mean, not that you have to, you should look for that in every single story. Cause I think that's kind of a forced that's thing. thing. We don't have a dramatic, but, but yeah. you know, it does like in that moment where Gabriel realizes what his wife really was thinking it's about it's, it's yeah. still like affects me when I read it. Cause, he, Cause you think of yourself in there, you know, like how, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know how you feel, but I think about is my wife really thinking what I think yeah. she's thinking? Yeah, no, no, it, it, it's <laughs> of course shocking. she's not. You know? It's absolutely shocking. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, if there is an epiphany here, it's it's what that Kiernan's going to join them, but I never get a sense that that's authentic in any way. I mean, there, I, I think this is almost anti-epiphany. This is this is the epiphany is like now let's go with the collective paralysis to use the other kind <laughs> yeah. of application of theme, you know, but. Yeah, and, and I'm not even saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it needs to follow a kind of formula, but um, 
But yeah, I certainly don't get an emotional attachment. Yeah. Because of that. All right. Very good. So, uh, the dead next time. Whoa.